0: Amen. You may have your seat as Pastor Todd comes. This morning we will be taking the Lord's Supper. If you do not receive the Lord's Supper, if you'd raise your hand and um jack will provide that i actually forgot mine so i, I need one of those that would be probably really helpful at the end um, when we go take it together like pastor uh, joshua said we will be in colossians today this is the advent series and we'll be going through uh, the next several weeks these are what we're going to carry we're going to look at the greatest gift that's ever been given to us that is what advent is all about advent really means the arrival or the anticipation of the king that's going to come. And when the king comes, uh, and when he came, he brought several gifts. I'm going to sit and look over this season through some. One that I'll look at this morning is where it all starts. The greatest gift that's ever been given to us is Christ himself. And then we're going to look at next week, because Christ has given himself, We have we have peace. Because we have peace, we have salvation is the next week after that. Then we'll look at the gift of adoption, and then we'll conclude on Christmas morning, the gift of our righteousness. So so that's what we'll be covering. Uh, This is the Advent series. We'll be looking at the greatest gift. Anyone ever been to a, a white elephant exchange? That's what I want to look at this morning. That's what Paul is going to address with us this morning. I'm not talking this morning about that. There's always that guy. You know that guy that comes to the white elephant gift that actually brings a good gift? That's not a white elephant exchange. That's called a gift exchange. A white elephant exchange gift is you bring a gift that is useless and worthless that nobody wants and you bring back the next year to keep giving. Anyone ever have that gift? That is what I'm talking about. That is what Paul is going to talk about this morning. And my great fear for us And coming to this season is that we often look at Jesus like a white elephant gift. Worthless. You might get some good use out of it here or there, but for the most part, you kind of put it away, store it away, and then you're going to re-gift it a year later. That's my greatest fear coming into this Advent season for us here at Powell's Chapel that we simply don't know the realities of the greatest gift that's ever been given to us. And we come to Jesus and we come to this gift and we grab it off the shelf and we use it occasionally and then put it back or we've been re- given it to us, we've received it and we've done nothing with it. And that is what Paul's going to address here in this passage. I taught this passage a few years ago, but I wanted to take a different angle on the text this morning in relationship to thinking about this gift, Jesus. Two things we're going to look at this morning is this, how often we come to Jesus and we receive him as an empty religion, that it has no value, it has no worth, it's empty, it's useless, it's worthless, and yet we would proclaim that it has more value than what we actually live out its value. And then I want to look at an empty religion, but then 9 through 12, I want to look at the fulfillment of a true relationship. So let's dive in this morning to see what Paul has to say with, to us about this called religion. He's going to start with what we ought not to have so that we can have what we ought to have. So He's going to give this contrast of, hey, this is what I don't want you to have first so that you have an understanding of what I really want you to have. So this is what Paul says. He uses four terms in this first verse, in first verse eight. He says it's this word see, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Empty the seat according to human tradition and according to elementary, or that that's how you say it in the, the Greek, elementary spirits are principles of the world, not according to Christ. The first word you can see, highlight this in your Bible. The word see there is not simply the see with your eyes. He, he's begging the people of the church in Colossae to, to to examine, to really look at, to ponder, to consider what's been offered to them. Really look at what's been offered to you. And my plea to you this morning is see what's been offered to you. What you've been given, this relationship with Jesus, I want you to really consider it this morning. Is it gold or is it fool's gold? Is it a gift or is it a white elephant gift this morning? Is it a true religion or is it a counterfeit religion? And how often that is masked in these four ways. He first says this He says, Let see to it that no one take you captive. The word captive in the Greek means this to abduct you. You know, when you're abducted, you don't see it coming. So Paul is pleading, I I know you don't even see it, but it's going to come, and it's going to come quickly. But I'm begging you, don't be abducted by the philosophies of the world, is what he's going to say. How often does Satan abduct us what looks like true religion? Remember how he started back in the garden in Genesis 3. He started off very subtly. Remember, he weaves his way, the serpent weaves his way to Adam and Eve. And he said, did God really say that? And he put a few extra words into what God actually said. See, Satan's not a fool. He's not going to come right at us with true deceit. He's going to be cunning and baffling and powerful, and so often he's going to do that to you and to me as well. And so in the same regard, when you would receive a counterfeit bill, we ought to hold it into the light to see if there's any watermarks that are missing. And so this morning for you, hold your religion up to the sun. This is a pun, the S-O-N, not the S-U-N. Hold it up to Jesus That is what Paul's going to say to you this morning and to me. Hold our religion, what we have true to us, towards Christ to see if there's anything missing in your life this morning. Because if not, you will be abducted fast and furious. You won't see it coming. That is what Paul is pleading with you and me This morning, and he says this. This is how you will be abducted. This is how you won't see it coming. He says these few things. He says that you would be abducted by what? Philosophy. The word philosophy means simply this. The love of knowledge. Like how many of us love knowledge? And and Paul is warning us. Even your love for knowledge, Satan can use your love for knowledge to deceive you. Like every person that's on TV that's preaching the gospel is not preaching the gospel. And yet we are so enamored and lured away by those those great teachers. They are great teachers, they're just empty teachers. Again, if you watch that guy out of Houston, Texas, with a terrible haircut, like he, he, I mean, that thing is terrible. Someone needs to tell him, man, you need a party in the front and the back. The mullet is over. But if you listen to him, you'll think, man, he's on point. Like, of course, who wants, who doesn't want their best life now? And we'll listen to him and we'll get enamored by him and we'll, Be captivated by his knowledge. And we'll be led astray. And on and on and on. I could go with the false teachers of the day. But we love knowledge. He says, first and foremost, don't be led astray. Don't be led into empty religion based on your love of knowledge. He then says, and don't be led astray. Don't be captivated by the empty deceit of the world. Or by man's tradition. That's what he's saying there. Empty deceit according to human tradition. What is human tradition? What is Paul talking about there in the text? What Paul is talking to and referencing there to the church in Colossae is this. That they had come to believe that there was a certain way to get to Jesus. And the certain way to get to Jesus was not based on Jesus but was based on their own merit. If you just follow these rules and you follow it in order, you get to Jesus, which takes all the responsibility off of who and puts it on to who. Takes it off of Christ and puts it on to you. So you better get your act straight is what the people of the day were talking about. And how often do we come into that place in our own walk with Jesus? If I just do things the right way, if I just say things the right way, if I just memorize enough of the Word, I'll have a great relationship with Jesus. I'll earn my way to Him. Is what the day, the people of the day were telling each other. And Paul says, "Don't be fooled by that. That is not the way to Jesus." He's going to tell us our way to Christ after verse eight. He says. In the next part, do not be led astray, but be reminded of everything according to Christ. So now he sets the picture. There's nothing that you can do. There's not enough knowledge that you can have to earn your way to Jesus. There's not enough activity that you can have to earn your way to Jesus. There's not enough things that you can do right and do wrong to earn your way to Jesus. Remember, he's saying, hold up your religion to Christ and see if you really have what Christ says you ought to have. And now he goes into the text to say this. This is how you have a full relationship with Jesus. You first must understand who Jesus is. I'd ask you this morning as you're taking notes, how would you answer that question? Who is Jesus? Cuz Paul's going to tell us exactly who Jesus is here in verse 9, 10, 11, and 12. Though I had Joshua stop at verse 10, we're going to cover 11 and 12 as well. But let's start in verse 9. He said, these things are not according to Christ. And then he says this, for in him, that's Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Paul tells us two things that are true about Christ here. The first is this, do you believe that Christ was fully God? That's what he says, he says the fullness of Christ is in his deity, that means his divine nature. He is fully God, he's not some of God, he's not kind of God, he's not parts of God. He's all of God, so he's fully God, But then he says this, where does that fully God live? In human form. He's both human and God. He's the only human, the only God to reside in both parts. Fully God and fully man. So do you believe first and foremost that Christ is fully God and fully man? If you don't believe that today, then the rest of this passage will make no sense to you. And you'll live out of verse 8. Because then you, you won't believe in the power of Jesus. You won't believe in the power of his resurrection. You won't believe in the power of his life. You won't believe in the power of his death. If you think he's just part and not a whole, then why would you put any of your faith in him? That is what Paul is saying to us. The greatest gift that man has ever received is the gift of Jesus who is fully God and fully man. Now that ought to blow your brain. Like that'll make you, if you ever have a computer, the pinwheel of death, right? It's like, I I can't make full sense of that. But we have to trust and believe that is what God's word says is true about him. We just sang that in all the songs this morning. Like there was a moment where Christ dwelled in heaven and decided to come as a baby and be among us. It's called the incarnation. Fully God and fully man that is what we celebrate at christmas that's why we come at advent and that is why we hope that god will be fully in christ when he returns he will be fully man and fully god whenever he decides to come back he tells us that in his word but you have to first believe that to be true i love what one writer says about this passage This is how he paraphrases verse 9 and verse 10. He says this. Everything of God exists in him, Jesus. So you can see and hear him clearly. You do not need a telescope, a microscope, or even a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ in the emptiness of the universe without Him, when you come to Him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. So the first place is, do you believe that the greatest gift that's ever been given to us is Christ, fully God, and fully man? And now Paul's going to say, here's the benefits of that gift. Right? It's one thing to come and to receive a gift. Anyone received a gift, but they've not done nothing with the gift? I mean, I know I have a lot. Like you like open that box, you're like, oh, no, what am I going to do with this thing? Am I the only one? Like, ah, oh. You try to like fake it till you make it like, eh, it's supposed to smile, Hilbert. There's no smile coming out of face with this gift. I'm definitely keeping it in the box. How often do we do that with Jesus? We receive the gift, and we look at it, and we're like, "Ooh, this is going to call me to do some things I really don't want to do. And we keep it in the box, and we put it away. Here's the greatness of the gift. When you receive Christ as Lord and King, as fully God and fully man, you don't have to do anything with the gift to get its benefits. It comes automatically. Like when you open the gift of your salvation, it just like leaps out of the box on top of you. That's what Paul is saying here. And now he's saying, this is what happens because of this gift. He says, this is the first thing that happens. You now have union with Christ. Let's look at verse 10. He says, and you have been filled with him. Like when you receive Christ, there's not an ounce of your body that isn't consumed with Jesus. There's not like a little piece of you that has been washed with Christ. Like all of you now, in your salvation, have been fully consumed in union with Christ. But do we believe that? Oftentimes we don't live like that. Like we'll live with union with Christ on Sunday, but when Monday comes, We don't look any different. Then we get back to Sunday. It's like, man, i got to put my Sunday best on. Both internally and externally. I'm not talking about these rags. How often do we do that? But it goes back to we don't believe that Christ is fully God and fully man. And therefore we don't believe that Christ is fully in all of us. We have a union with Christ. Do you believe what Peter says? Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. I'm going to get to verse 3 as well in this text this morning. But I want to start with verse 4 because this is what happens in your salvation with Him. This is what Peter has to say about this idea. In verse 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1. By this, by what our salvation is what he's talking about. By our salvation, he, Jesus, has granted to us his precious and very great promises. All the promises that Christ has to offer are yours at salvation. He's not withholding anything. He's not waiting for you to get more of your act together to give you more of his blessing. Like in the moment of your salvation, all of his promises, all of his gifts have been poured out to you, is what Peter says. So that by them, what the promises of Christ, so that by them you may become partakers of what? His divine nature. Now think about that for a moment. At the moment of your conversion, at the moment of your salvation, at the moment that Christ gave you and you received the greatest gift, In Christ, you have taken on his divine nature. Now think about that for just a moment. That's what Peter says here in the text. So that by them you may be partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of its sinful desires. So in the moment of your conversion, you have a union with Christ, that then you are in him and he is in you. Fully. Do you believe that this morning? Because that will lead to the next thing. Let me read another quote from another writer that we must first understand. Because if we don't believe that we have union with Christ and we're still in our fallen state. That means at our conversion, if we don't fully believe that, we are still in our sinful state of being. And this is what one writer says about our fallen sin state. He says as a result of the fall, that's Genesis 3, man, woman, you, me, humans, is in a stat and it is in a sad state of incompletion. So because of the fall, we as humans are incomplete. That's what sin does to us. He says, humans, man and woman, are both spiritually incomplete because. He is totally outside of fellowship with God. He is morally incomplete because he lives outside of God's will. And he is mentally incomplete because he does not know the ultimate truth. So if you do not have a relationship with Christ, you are still in your fallen, incomplete state. If you have relationship with Christ, you have union with Christ and Christ is fully in you. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then what Paul is going to say, let's turn back to Colossians. This is what the one of the another benefits of this great gift that God has given to us. This is verse eleven and twelve, which uh, Pastor Joshua did not read. You have union with Christ, and in having union with Christ, you now have this: you have power over sin. Let me say that one more time, because of your union with Christ and Christ's union with you. You now have power over sin, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that he has done, because he now dwells in you. And what we just read in Second Peter, that divine nature now lives in you. And this is what he says in verse 11 and 12. He says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, Having been buried in him in his baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the power that is working of God, who raised him from the dead. What Paul is saying here is that same idea of circumcision and baptism. When you and I see baptism, it's, we are saying to people, hey, what the old is dead, is buried, and the new is like Christ. You now have, because of Christ, you have power over sin. Well, I get one amen? Let me say that one more time. Because of Christ dying for you, living for you, you receiving that gift, you now have power over sin, which means you don't have to continue on sinning. I mean, I get like murmurs in the crowd. But how often do we continue on sinning? If we continue on sinning, it is simply saying and showing we don't believe in the power of Christ that resides in us it's not that you go on without sinning it's that the Christ in you that you are willing to submit your whole life to the Christ in you you will no longer sin now I know we'll keep on sinning but there is a power now that you don't have to any longer you will continue but we can resist sin amen but how often do we not live out practically that way? And that is what Paul is saying to us. Here's what, go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you don't believe that, remember what we just read, that we have all these promises that have been given to us if we're partakers in the divine nature, but there is a verse that precedes that one in verse 3. And this is what Peter says in verse 3 of chapter 1. It says, "By his." Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things. Not some things, not most things. All the things that you need has been granted to you at your salvation, at receiving the gift of your salvation that pertain to what? To life and godliness. You have all that you need, is what Peter says, To live a life of godliness. How awesome is that verse? He goes on to say this. Through the knowledge of him. Who what? Called you. He did it for you. He called you into this way of living. He called you into this way of life. He called you, is what Peter says. To his own glory in his own excellence. That is the greatest gift that we received. So my question to you, my question to me today is this, have you received that gift? That gift is freely yours. You see, the rest of Advent won't matter. The, the rest of this series won't matter. If you do not have Christ, you'll never have peace. If you do not have Christ, you'll never have adoption into his family. If you do not have Christ, you will not have salvation. You will not have righteousness. You will not have all the things that you ought to have in a life of godliness. So first and foremost is this. Have you received the greatest gift that's being offered to you today because it waits for you? All you have to do is come to it. All you have to do is say, I need it. And it's a free gift that waits for you today. Have you received that gift? My prayer is this. Let us not look at our salvation like a white elephant. gift. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Like you receive that white elephant gift. You're like, man, what else is better out there? You go trade it for something else. Like you want the number one car. I, this is the way I play. Like you want to be the last one. Like, ah, man, now I get to choose all these. That's not the salvation that Christ is offering to us. There is no better gift than him. But how often are we trading that gift for other things? Christ is not a white elephant gift. He's a precious gift that He is freely giving to us. And he's waiting for you to receive it. And when you receive it, the fullness of that gift falls on you. And you don't have to do anything at all. You just have to simply receive it. Now this morning in closing, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. I don't think there's a greater way that we can look at this morning the Advent season. The Advent season is all about Christ becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And that is what this represents. This cup and this juice and this bread represents the fullness of Christ's humanity, but it also reminds us of the fullness of Christ's deity, because without His body and without His blood, there is no salvation. And this is a reminder to us and for us that we partake in His divine nature. And that every time we come to the Lord's Supper, to the Lord's table, we're reminded of what He did for us. That He broke His body for us. That He shed His blood for us so that we could have the fullness of the gift. Let me pray for us and then we'll take the bread and then we'll drink the juice.